to say about this elk season is wow. Maybe oof would be a better word. A reality of hunting in an imperfect world where human error exists is that mistakes happen. Animals get injured, they get away, heartbreak. It's never the way we want it to go. Our responsibility as ethical hunters is to put in an extreme effort to hone our skills to avoid these tragic mishaps as much as possible. For me, that meant shooting my bow every single day to get the smallest, most accurate groups I could and practicing things like holding at full draw for long periods of time. To cut to the chase, my Oregon archery elk season ended in tragedy due to several compacting factors, all beginning with simple mistakes on my part. I'm a new bow hunter, so no matter what happened this season, I would have learned a ton. That's what you do when you hunt. You learn. And as hunters, learning should always be the ultimate goal for our time in the field. There will be many tags in our lives that go unfilled, but if your first objective is to learn and grow, you can find success in every season. This year, I learned a few hard lessons firsthand that I would like to share so that perhaps some others will not have to learn them firsthand. Taking the life of a beautiful creature is never something we should take lightly. We owe it to our prey to deliver the most humane and efficient kill possible. When we choose to pursue our game with a bow and arrow, we must understand the risks associated with this type of hunting. While rifle hunting has a margin of error, and we can count on knockdown power to help make up for iffy shots, bow hunting requires precision and confidence. Instead of writing about my whole archery elk season, I'm only going to write about the fateful day when I made a bad shot on a bull. After lots of reflection, I've observed some important lessons that I will carry with me through life and teach other new bow hunters like myself. Many bow hunters who have hunted for longer than I've even been alive have lost an animal or two. You just never expect it to be your first one. With all that said, I'm amazed and thankful that I had the opportunity to fling an arrow at a bull on my first ever archery elk season. It was a fruitful season in many ways. In my only three solo hunts, I went home with a big shed, a grouse, and got to call in a total of three elk. So next year, I'll be a lot more intentional and aware when it comes to the arrow flinging part. September 15th, while we had gotten some rain early in the month, it had been hot and dry enough to dry out all the roads, so they were all powdery and dusty. Many of the local timber companies still had their land locked down for fire season, and we were in for a hot few days with temps reaching 90 degrees down in the valley. I had planned a mountain bike hunt that would take me through 15 miles of different ridges in the lower hills of the Western Oregon Coastal Mountains. I would go up and down between 800 and 1,000 feet in elevation. To my knowledge, the rut still wasn't in full swing, but my plan was to move around looking for fresh sign and location bugling periodically on my journey. At this point, I hadn't heard a bugle all season. I woke up an hour and a half before sunrise and headed out to my selected gate. Unfortunately, there was lots of road work going on and I got stuck behind a slow truck for the whole drive from my home, so I didn't make it out to my gate until 7 o'clock, well after sunrise. But if there's one thing I've learned from my years in the blacktail woods, it's that a hunter needs to be adaptable to the situation and roll with the punches. So I wasn't entirely devastated when I found a truck parked at the gate before me. Now, this is one of those gates that holds access to many thousands of acres of public land and publicly accessible timber company land, but I still decided to drive back down to a different gate, the gate that I was planning on ending the day at, and doing my ride backwards. 
I finally made it to the other gate, which is located on some open warehouser property, and I unloaded my bike, packed up my gear, and set off. At this point, it was 7.30 a.m., but I had no idea that in just 30 minutes, I would run into two raghorn bulls only 500 yards in a straight line from my truck. In this area, there's a lot of logging activity going on. On just the other mountain behind me, there were noisy tractors working and trees falling. The sounds echoed through the woods, so my goal was to get as far away from that as I could. One factor I didn't take into account is that since I was doing my ride backwards, I had to ride up a two-mile steep hill right at the beginning of my ride, a hill that I was planning on riding down on my way back to the truck that night. And I hadn't ridden my bike all summer. So in full transparency, I have to admit that I took a couple of breathers on my way up just a short distance. I will say though, one of those breaks was to jump off my bike to try and shoot a grouse. He was too fast, no grouse for me this time. I finally made it to the top of the first foothill, only 800 feet of elevation, when I noticed some extremely fresh elk tracks in the powdery intersection of a spur road off of my main road that led to a tiny clear cut. You can tell when a track is fresh in the powder because there's no disturbance of wind or rain that kind of looks shiny with all the particles of dirt perfectly pressed down into a smooth surface. Even after just one day of dew, the dirt will start to spring up and it won't look as shiny. So I knew these tracks were really fresh. This whole section of road was like a track trap and it was filled with tracks from all different kinds of critters out there. But the elk tracks were obviously from that morning. They were the freshest track in that whole spot. Sticking to plans made days in advance doesn't fill tags. And in the field, we always need to be willing to change our plans based on what we observe. In that moment, I knew a long distance bike ride over multiple ridges probably wasn't gonna happen. And I was okay with it because I found some fresh sign. I had to lock up the bike and start following these tracks on foot. The wind wasn't perfect, sideways, but as long as those elk stayed on the road and didn't dive off the edge into the reap rod, they wouldn't win me. Even though it became hard to track the elk on the rocky overgrown spur road, I managed to pick up a track or two every 50 yards and cautiously continued. I didn't know it at the time, but I was catching up to two raghorn bulls who had gone down that spur road on their way to the tiny clear cut that was not obviously visible from any of the roads in the area. At this point, the thermals were starting to switch in the sunny areas, and the road I was walking went directly down the spine of a finger ridge. I only cow called when the wind was in my favor, but because the thermals were switching, it would frequently swirl around so I didn't get to call very much. I very slowly crept down the road, peeking cautiously around each corner, half expecting to see an elk feeding on some brush. I made it exactly 400 yards from where I parked my bike, when suddenly I heard a stick pop in the distance. The sound came from far off to my right. All I could see at this point was reprod. I was oblivious to the fact that the clear cut was only 30 yards away from where I was standing on that spur road. I froze at the sound and waited. Then, a minute later, straining to hear, I heard another branch break far off. I knew that it had to be there were elk down below me, and I knocked an arrow. My wind checker revealed that the wind was now drifting up the road toward the direction that I came from. So I moved into the trees just off the road, expecting that when I called, a bull would come back up the spur road toward me. I cow called and waited. And that was when the infrequent sticks and branches popping turned into crashing in the clear cut below me, and I knew it was game on. At this new sound, I was able to pinpoint exactly where those elk were, 150 yards away on the opposite side of a clear cut. Moving through the reprod now, I wanted to set up just inside the edge and call the bull up to the edge. 
Since they were already way out in the open, they obviously weren't going to be concerned about crossing the clear cut. When I called in my first turkey this spring, my heart pumped so hard and my breathing was so rapid that I actually went blind for a moment when I was trying to hold perfectly still to not be spotted by that tom. This time though, I felt extremely calm. It was as though I was watching a video of myself moving into the ideal position, calling just the right amount to keep them coming in, and ranging certain stumps and trees to know my distances. It was not quiet for me to move through this reprod at all, but that was perfectly fine because those bulls definitely thought I was a cow, and my stick breaking only enticed them closer. When I first reached the edge, I couldn't see the bulls at first, and the noise had stopped. I began to doubt my directional hearing and thought perhaps the elk were spooked out. I still waited. For five minutes I heard nothing, despite cow calling a couple times and breaking some more sticks to simulate a cow moving around just inside the reprod. I decided to walk back to the road just in case they were trying to come back around up the road to me and catch my wind, but when I was halfway back to the road, the bulls started moving again down in the cut. They must have heard my sticks breaking and thought I was the cow moving away. I called again, checked my wind, and went right back to the edge. Mind you, I still haven't laid eyes on them at all at this point. I haven't heard a bugle, I haven't heard any kind of vocalization, all that I've heard so far is sticks breaking. So when I peeked out of the edge of the reprod and saw not one but two bulls trudging through the cut heading my way fast, I once again kicked it into game mode. I had no time to be excited or to analyze the size of these bulls. I just went robotic and did what came naturally. Besides, it's my first elk. I don't really care if it's a spike or if it's a branched bull. I just wanted to get a bull down. Going robotic was probably a new hunter mistake because I wasn't able to be as thoughtful in the moment as I could have been if I was making intentional decisions. Still, the whole interaction was very fast and I had to quickly step into good shooting position where I was hidden behind a Christmas tree and my wind was in the right direction. This particular cut begins at the edge of a creek draw and comes three quarters of the way up to the face I was standing on. The face is east facing, so it was getting blasted with full sun and the wind was ripping up into my face. The bottom of the cut though, where the elk were, was still shaded and the creek was pulling wind down that goalie. So if I would have gotten down there even 30 minutes earlier, the thermal wouldn't have changed yet and they would have easily winded me. So it was just a perfect situation with perfect timing. You know, I wasn't planning on being there that early. I had a whole nother route I was planning, but God put me in a perfect situation because I was patient. I just went with the flow of what was going on in the woods that day. Here I was in a perfect setup with two lonely raghorns who were willing to walk right up a steep open clear cut to the edge of some reprod where I was standing waiting as they approached they were just fixated on my location the larger of the two bulls a 5x5 five five that I would end up shooting was coming in so determined that he was not even looking where he was stepping and he was almost tripping on logs and sticks as he stumbled into bow range I had one last moment to range a few logs and stumps there was a small bench 50 yards below me and a unique log 20 yards away that looked to be right where the bull was coming into. Their trudge was mostly flat at the bottom, except for the last 50 yards from that bench to me, which was steep enough that I expected the bull to turn in side hill before coming into my setup. Unfortunately, he didn't. He came straight up the steep hill as if it wasn't even an obstacle. Walking down it later, I mostly slid down that slope and had a hard time climbing back out. I drew right before he began his climb. Bull fever still had not kicked in. I was steady and stable, not shaking at all, and holding full draw with no issues. 
partially because I couldn't believe this was happening and partially because, like I said, I just went robotic and my body was naturally doing what it needed to do. That bull almost floated up the hill, never even bobbing his head as he walked straight in. His buddy, who I have referred to as his little brother, stayed at the 50-yard bench and watched from below as my 5x5 approached. His head was slightly turned down and he was looking straight at me and my bull stopped at what I guess based off of my previous ranging to be about 20 yards and he froze. Frontal shots have been a popular topic of conversation on many hunting podcasts recently. I did some research on it. I thought it would be a good option for a time such as this where the bull came straight in and froze. Due to the steep hill he was standing on, his back legs and rump were pointing down while his front legs and head were up a little bit, but still, tall dry grass was up above his chest. Aiming for where I thought the pocket, kill pocket on a frontal shot would be, I pulled the release and heard the telltale thump of an arrow contacting elk. The bull stumbled back and calmly walked back down to the 50-yard bench, standing broadside. That's when my heart sank. I saw my arrow was far higher than I even thought possible, and it was just good enough of a shot to be awful. While my arrow was perfectly centered side to side, it was sticking out of his throat. I felt sick. I couldn't believe what I had just done. That's when panic finally set in, and bull fever also kicked in. I quickly knocked another arrow and used my 50-yard pin to desperately try to get a broadside shot in, but it went under his belly. Before season, I told myself that 40 yards would be my maximum effective range due to my draw weight, my arrow weight, but when I had another opportunity at 60 yards, I had to make one last desperate attempt to put a better arrow into this elk, but once again, it was a clean miss. He walked forward about 100 yards away and stood coughing and sneezing up blood. There was absolutely nothing I could do at this point. I went numb with emotions of anger and sadness, complete desperation. There was nothing I could do now. I had just injured a giant beautiful animal with a shot that was not likely to be immediately fatal, if at all. It was now 8.30am. In that moment of panic, in any moment of panic, you sort of make silly observations. And two silly observations that stuck in my head. Well, for one, his antlers, when he looked at me before I took my shot, made a perfectly round uppercase U. Just round with no angles at all. Second of all, my bull looked far bigger in body size than his little brother, who was also lighter in color. Little brother was a goofy 4x spike with a brow tines on both sides, and he was completely unaware of the peril that awaited his travel companion. So he decided to go check out this hot cow on his own. At this point, I was just crouched down watching my injured bull, who still thought that he just walked into a sharp stick. The other bull climbed into the trees with me, and got within about 10 feet. He was broadside. He didn't know I was there. He was looking straight ahead, trying to get deeper into the reprod. I held perfectly still, hoping not to spook them, because the last thing I wanted was for them to run over to the next mountain. Eventually, he got a bit uncomfortable with the situation. He must have winded me or something, but he never fully busted. He just kind of trotted down to his friend, and then they both very slowly and calmly walked straight south through the clear cut, up the creek draw, and entered into the reprod on the far side of the cut. I waited until I could no longer hear sticks popping, and I went to investigate the blood trail. Reality was still setting in, and I sent out a desperate text to my friend, who I would consider my archery consultant, Jericho. The text read, Dude, I screwed up. I hit a bull, but it's bad. Bad, bad shot. 
I had service just enough for him to call back, and I explained my shot and told him where to meet me. We had a long weekend ahead of us. Immediately after I hung up from that call, I didn't even have enough service to text my wife. So I take that as another God thing that I was able to get a hold of Jericho who could come out and help me figure this mess out. I climbed through the creek, squeezing through blackberry hedges, and climbed up a steep draw to get onto the main road and reach my truck without intercepting the elk. So my bike was just left up there tied to a tree because they were kind of heading in the direction of where I tied my bike up that morning. I took the painful trudge as punishment for my mistake, all the while praying that God would allow me to track this animal down and finish him off without as much suffering. My thoughts raced. I waited for Jericho for a while in my truck, listening to worship music, praying, and eating some food. When he finally arrived, I relayed the whole story to him again and showed him the waypoints of where the elk were, where they went, and where I saw the first blood. We went back to the place of the shot and found both of my missing arrows. It was now three hours after the shot, which we thought was a good amount of time to wait for an elk who left a decent blood trail to die. What we noticed is that when he was on the move, he didn't hardly bleed at all but he would bed down periodically and bleed a lot. We have no way of confirming this other than by tracks, but it really seems like his little brother stayed with him and kept moving him along when the injured bull would bed down for too long. We blood trailed for another couple hours, losing the weak trail several times and basically gritting the open reprod at times to try to find more. We followed blood almost back to the main road near where I parked my bike that morning when we heard brush moving and got back on some fresh blood. At this point, neither of the bulls had seen me nor had been completely spooked out of the area, and they hadn't winded us, so we cow-called to keep him calm and extremely slowly followed the trail. Since the elk were moving up the creek, even though the thermals had switched, wind almost always blows down creeks, and luckily for us this time, it was in fact blowing down the creek, and the wind was in our favor as we tried to approach these elk. We followed the blood trail and found that he had in fact crossed the road into a patch of greener, thicker reap rod, more like Christmas trees. So we decided to pause and eat lunch. While we ate, we called periodically, and that's when we heard brush moving above us off to our right. I tried to sneak in close to the source, but it had ceased. We investigated and found where a bull had likely climbed up the embankment into the thick reap rod, when suddenly Jericho saw a bull standing up on the bank looking directly at us for just a split second before it busted and ran further up the hill. To this day, we still don't know if that was my injured bull or if it was little brother, but we went back on the stalk and kept pushing in, desperate to put another arrow in him and finish him off. This is when things really started to go haywire because an elk had laid eyes on us, so he no longer thought we were cows, he knew something was going on. We got close to him multiple times. One time we were so close we could hear him struggling to breathe. It almost sounded like a buck grunt, but it was just him having trouble breathing. But there was no visibility into those thick trees. He busted one more time, a quarter of a mile away from the very beginning of the blood trail, and completely stopped bleeding after that. At this point, the bull hit yet another old logging road and left the country. We were able to track him for another quarter of a mile, but we lost tracks, and there was no blood in that whole distance. We spent the rest of the day until dark, walking all the roads and trails in the area looking for blood, but we came up short. I had a very depressing drive home that night, and that's when it sunk in that I stuck a bull and he was still out there somewhere. There was no way of me knowing if he was dead or alive. My prayer that night is that he's either still alive and he'll survive and we will never see him again, or that he's dead and I'll find him the next day and be able to salvage the meat. The next day, 
Jericho, Jericho's dad, and I all went out and gritted the entire section of reprod near where we guessed he went last. But we never found any more fresh tracks or blood. We also went around cow calling, cautiously sneaking, hoping that if he was alive, he might be ready enough to come back in. Not to mention Jericho and Jericho's dad both had elk tags. Maybe little brother would want to come out of hiding. Finally, we split up and walked through some thick, nasty areas near water where no human has been for a long time. It was a strong all-day effort. By the end, in the 80-degree heat, I had come to terms that if the bull was in fact dead, the meat was spoiled and I would not be getting anything off of him. One of the hardest parts of this experience, looking back, is that on that second day of searching, I walked within 50 yards of that bull on my solo search, and I had no idea. Driving home that night was even worse than the first night because it was official. I knew that if that elk was dead, I was getting no meat. I considered my tag filled, and I was going to spend the rest of my season searching for birds and listening for coyotes. To top it off, it was a punch in the gut that when I got home, my two-year-old excitedly asked to see my elk. I had to explain to him that I lost the elk, and we wouldn't likely ever get to see him. Even though the events of September 15th through the 20th would not end in a packout, we gave it an intense effort. We did about 10 miles each day, and I'm confident that I saw every single shrub and opening in the areas that I gridded. I had to work Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, so I didn't get into the woods again until Wednesday. I hiked up the road to the top of the mountain where we found our last tracks and just started walking and praying. After about a mile, that's when I found the first vulture sunning himself in the trees. I paused, suspicious that that vulture was there for a reason. Then... I could smell the faintest smell of rotten meat and knew immediately that my bull was nearby. On the far reaches of the last place I looked on the 16th, one mile from where he crossed the road the last time that weekend, there were massive bear piles everywhere, as well as some very large bear tracks. I put my head down and went into the thick trees and followed my nose straight to him. When I approached the carcass, a large animal busted through the bush before I could see it, I definitely believe it was the large bear who was eating my elk. And then there he was, still mostly intact, but completely rotten. I marked my tag right there and worked to cut off his rotten head. On a side note, I went back in there two days later and every morsel of meat and guts had been eaten off of that elk. It was a very hungry forest. This was a tragic experience. There are a few important lessons that I want other archery hunters to understand based off of this experience. That way you can learn from my mistakes and not have to make them on your own. First of all, I'm going to say there's no room for error when it comes to your gear. When it comes to your bow. You need to get all your gear nailed down before you hit the woods. And for me, my peep sight kept sliding up and down on my string after every shot. I thought that it would be simple enough for me to check my peep in the moments before I shot. I even put some sharpie on the spot where I knew I needed to put my peep. But when that bull came in, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even check. It was the last thing on my mind. I had forgotten about my peep issue. Now I'm looking back, wondering if my peep slid, and that contributed to my bad shot. On a similar note, I want to say practice those steep up and down shots. Shooting at that bull was the first time I had ever shot down a steep hill. Every other arrow I've ever shot was on flat ground, and 90% of those were at 20 yards. So before this experience, I had never even considered the difference it might make to shoot steep up or downhill. But guess what? When you're in the mountains, there's hills. Now I wonder if this simple oversight also contributed to my bad shot. 
Lesson number two, save the frontal shots for the pros. If you're a beginner, do not take frontal shots. This was a bad decision on my part. I've heard so many people lately talk about shooting frontal shots and I've seen so many videos of people doing that. Unless you're extremely confident on elk anatomy and you've been killing bulls with bows for years, you should definitely pass on the frontal shots. I know that if I would have waited and been patient, that bull didn't know I was a human. He would have come in closer and very likely given me a broadside shot. But because I was a little greedy, a little too excited, still wet behind the ears out there, I just took the first shot I thought I could take. I was confident myself, but it turns out I was confidently wrong. There are also many misleading images online which show the kill zone on a frontal shot as high up at the base of the neck. I was aiming pretty high at this spot, but then I hit even higher than I wanted, resulting in an elk with enough life to travel a mile up a mountain and not die till later that night. Finally, and this is probably one of the biggest lessons, don't push too hard. While tracking, don't keep pushing an injured animal. If my bull was in more open territory, we could have easily gotten another arrow in him multiple times. We got close enough, but in that thick reprod, there was no way we could have pulled it off. Hindsight is 2020, and knowing what we know now, if we would have pulled out after the first time we bumped him and went back the next day, we would have been packing out a dead elk. But we were so desperate to try to get another arrow in him, and we kept pushing him. In the heat of the moment, we were certain it was a non-fatal shot, and desperately wanted to try to finish the job. I learned to trust my broadhead. As long as it's in there, moving around, cutting stuff up, and making him bleed, he'll die. If he's going to die, it's worth waiting overnight. But if he isn't going to die, chasing him up a reprod mountain isn't going to provide another shot. To wrap it all up with some final thoughts, the whole reason I do this is for the meat. And I was so excited to fill my freezer with some of the highest quality meat in the world. That is the dark red, coastal Oregon grown wild elk. Instead, through several compounding mistakes, I didn't get to eat a single morsel of this big animal I killed. Now, when I look at the antlers on the wall, I remember a hard and emotional first elk story. Not so much a story of victory and success and provision. I will apply these lessons though, and be a better hunter tomorrow. Thank you for listening.